Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. from Lucas Oil Stadium where some of the action will happen. The rest also in the Indiana Convention Center where I will be doing shows here all week along with Chris. What is up, man? Great to see you. Yeah, thanks for having me down here to Indy. Uh, Like you mentioned, the Convention Center, it's like people think that it's all going on inside Lucas Oil. But the convention center, in terms of media, GMs, head coaches, you're walking down the halls, you see a lot of it. So, And they're right next to each other. So this is really... My favorite week of the pre-draft process, it is the ultimate networking event in NFL media. It certainly is. And uh, our current situation is not the most beautiful because we wanted to jump in and start potting right away. And we can't actually get our media credentials until tomorrow morning, uh, which is probably when you're listening to this. So by the time you're listening to this, we will be over at the convention center. Kwesi Adafo Mensa is going to talk on Wednesday, Tuesday, yeah. Tuesday morning, mm-hmm. uh, losing track of what day it is already. And uh, <laughs> that, so we'll have a reaction to him. You're going to be at his post session. He also does a side session with beat reporters. We'll compare notes on that and have an instant reaction for everyone as soon as we're done talking with Quasi Adafo Mensa and then lots of things to come. Uh, but we wanted to do a preview of the entire week. Yeah. So not just what Quasi and Kevin O'Connell are going to say, which I'm not sure exactly how much they're going to say. We'll find out. I mean, last year, I thought that they were really willing to break down their philosophies. But that's what's that, fun, too. Right? Oh, yeah. It is. You yeah. learn a lot. Uh, but now that we've been through it, like, are they going to be as open or are we going to find out some things we didn't expect? I guess we'll learn that tomorrow. But I really wanted to get into the things we're looking for on the whole around the league and some draft prospects that you're looking at. But I think we have to begin in a little bit of a different place, which is the quarterback situation around the league. NFL Network reported today that Derek Carr is going to be here in Indy. There he is. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but Derek Carr is going to be here in Indy meeting with teams. And I think that the Rodgers situation and the Derek Carr situation really shape how the entire rest of the league, including the teams drafting quarterbacks, is going to shake out. Yeah, I mean, I think it does. But right now, I mean, and probably when this comes out, there could be Derek Carr could be signing with someone and could throw a whole wrench into this. It feels like with the Jets and the Raiders being two of the team's most talked about in both of those sweepstakes for Derek Carr and Aaron Rodgers, um, that it doesn't feel like those teams want to look into the draft at the quarterback position. So unless it's like a surprise team like the Panthers, I don't think it'll be the Texans, obviously, or the Colts. They've, they've kind of rolled the dice on the veteran market and, and you know, failed the last couple of years. It will shape a little bit of it, but I think in general, the teams that that everyone has identified as the quarterback needy teams in the draft, I think will kind of stay put regardless of where even someone like Jimmy Garoppolo ultimately goes. 
Yeah, I think the Raiders are maybe the most interesting one here because they're in a position where they want to win. They got Devontae Adams, but yet they're drafting very high. Yeah, and that's... it's it's hard, I think, to look at that situation and not say, boy, if you could land yourself a C.J. Stroud or if you could land yourself even Anthony Richardson and were patient enough or could ask Devontae Adams for his patience, then you might be in a better long-term situation than if you got Rodgers and it isn't what it used to be or you get left out of the Rodgers thing and you end up with Jimmy Garoppolo or you get left out of that thing and you end up with what? Like Ryan Tannehill or something. Like none of these situations are great. So how the moving and shaking happens here because this is where rumors happen. And this is For where sure. 1 a.m. conversations at steakhouses happen and we start to find out what's kind of going on. But, yeah, we might have an answer on Derek Carr by the end of the week where he wants to go. But I think the, the best place to begin with this is the quarterbacks in this draft because there are four projected at the top. And Anthony Richardson, in my mind, is the most interesting by far. And there is news today that he is going to participate in all of the events. Love so it. we're going to have real numbers on Anthony yes. Richardson to compete compare to all these other guys. And I think they're already, they have to be looking at some of the records that have been set for athleticism by a quarterback. But what do you think of that decision from Anthony Richardson to put it all down kind of on tape here at, uh, in Indianapolis? It's what he had to do. I mean, I, I've put two weeks ago, I moved Anthony Richardson to the number one overall pick in my mock because I put the Colts trading up for Bryce Young over and over and over again. And then it dawned on me that if Anthony Richardson works out at the combine and there was kind of an extra caveat that if, if also Bryce Young did that there was going to be a huge disparity in their height, in their weight, in their arm talent and their athleticism. Now Bryce Young is not working out. That makes sense from his perspective as well, because you can just say, Hey, look at the last two years, all the poise I showed, all the, you know, big throws that I made, but it was an absolute must decision for Anthony Richardson. Um, obviously, the quarterbacks all have to weigh in, and we'll still see that big disparity between Anthony Richardson and Bryce Young. But you're right; I think we're going to see an all-time workout from Anthony Richardson, and it maybe not the fastest forty ever and the highest vertical, but at six foot four and two hundred and thirty plus pounds, when these other quarterbacks don't really have that height and weight combination. So it was a smart move for him. And I think after the combine, because I I am expecting him to test that well, then we'll start to hear some, could he be quarterback two? Could he maybe be quarterback one on some teams boards? It will really just depend on, the flavor that those teams like and the type of quarterback that they want to roll the dice on in the draft. So I think this puts a little pressure on Will Levis to do for the sure, same. For sure. And uh, what, what is CJ Stroud's situation? Is he going to, he's, know? he's throwing and I'm pretty sure he's working out as well. He's kind of the tweener in this group. Um, and he still, even though two straight years of very clean film, he can do well for himself where if he, no one's expecting him to run like Will Levis or Anthony Richardson, but if he's just not like terribly unathletic, I think people say, okay, he's a great pocket passer. Also very poised, very young. He can make himself some money this week as well. Isn't it interesting with this group that you have kind of a a myriad of different heights and sizes and it's like, it's got something for everybody. Will Levis arm strength is absolutely preposterous. Yes. Uh, He can throw it through some sort of very thick wall, I would say. And uh, Richardson is more of the runner. And a lot of the conversation actually reminds me of Jalen Hurts. Only I think Richardson throws it better than Jalen Hurts because his arm strength is much greater, but he also throws it into the ground 
alarmed sometimes when you're like, what the throw was right there man. yeah <laughs> like, what happened on that throw there's a little bit of uh, vince young throws with him mm-hmm. where you just don't understand but uh maybe that's a technical thing that can be fixed and then here's stroud that looks to me like an nfl quarterback i mean drops back hits the back foot great technique and his game his last impression against georgia unreal was so phenomenal he was making plays he was competing and i also think and this is just my impression from watching a handful of games of his and listening to the broadcasts and everything else and features and reading about him is that he's the character guy. Like yeah. if you want character from your quarterback, CJ Stroud is like through the roof. I, I think that this makes it difficult to really know who is going to be number one. Cause it's kind of a preference thing. And going back over the years, I mean, we have the, the Joe Burrow year and the Trevor Lawrence year. Beyond that, Kyler Murray in 2019, I remember being at the Combine, and this is where the, hey, maybe the Cardinals could actually pick him number one overall. In 2018, it was up until the Combine, and really almost until draft day, it was either going to be Josh Allen or Sam Darnold at number one overall. So for it to be um, kind of up in the air who that top quarterback is going to be when there's not a Joe Burrow or a uh, Trevor Lawrence is not really that unprecedented. And I think all these quarterbacks, like you mentioned, different sizes, they have different strengths and weaknesses. There isn't that generational, quote unquote, generational prospect um, in this draft. I think there will be truly a, a total scattering of how teams have these quarterbacks ranked. And to me, what I really think that it comes down to is top of the draft, do you want to roll the dice on a quarterback that has a high floor in Bryce Young where you're like, all right, he's going to understand protections right away. He's going to be accurate. He might not ever be to that Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes or Justin Herbert uh, physical skill set level, and but we're fine with that. And maybe we'll ultimately lose a game where he just can't make the throws of the other team's quarterback in the playoffs. Or do we roll the dice on the other end of it? And you and I usually gravitate toward this side. We did it with Trey Lance and Zach Wilson um, that – do you roll the dice on the Anthony Richardson type that's raw, needs to get better with his decision-making, not throwing the ball into the turf when there's an open drag route right in front of him, but has the ability if things, not just individually uh, with his development, but the team around him wise, that he can go toe-to-toe with a Patrick Mahomes or a Josh Allen with throws, with the ability to scramble the design run game. That's just where I see the best quarterbacks in today's game. So I lean in that direction way more than I used to even like five or six years ago. Yeah, and I think that I used to also believe that if you didn't have the perfect accuracy coming out, you might as well just not even Me too. Me too. But there were so many quarterbacks that didn't and went bust that I think that we had this run of being like, oh, yeah, like Paxton Lynch or something who I just saw in the XFL. Like, it was just kind of a run of, well, the guy uh, – who was the, the guy who became a pitcher? Zach – it was a Hackenberg – Christian, Christian Hackenberg. Christian Hackenberg. Oof, he was bad uh, too. Right. It was just this monster arm, huge dude. Okay, well, that doesn't matter if you can't play football. But I think that some of these guys, when you add a running element to it, mm-hmm. then you're talking about something different. And also, like when they said Josh Allen couldn't improve, and then he did. And when then Patrick Mahomes can't improve his footwork, and then he did. It's like there's Jalen Hurts, too. Right. There are things that guys can get better on. The one thing that I missed with Zach Wilson, I think that I just never came across, but now in hindsight is that he wasn't his team's captain at BYU. And that's just weird. Like if you were like the guy, and they were good too. They They were were a good team. team. Yeah. It's like, 
wait, he wasn't the captain. Why wouldn't they vote him a captain? And then now we, we kind of know doing things with teammates, moms or whatever, or their friends, or I don't know, something like that. But uh, beyond his off field exploits, just like he showed no leadership capabilities in the NFL either. But I think with the guys that we have this year, Every one of them. I mean, Bryce Young has has that and that. They seem focused. Yeah, they seem much more focused. But I don't know if we would have known that about Zach Wilson coming Mm -hmm. out either. Like how someone reacts is going to be hard. So I wanted to ask you, because the Vikings are at least tangentially in this conversation, if one guy was going to drop out of the four quarterbacks, who would it be? Man, that's tough because I. Is the answer just nobody? No, I I think one will ultimately fall. I mean, with Justin Fields going what all the way to eleven in twenty twenty one, I think a lot of people were surprised at that because he was check the size box, athleticism through the roof, big arm. His film at Ohio State was really good. Um, I think there will be one because again, this is not a group of four like two thousand eighteen prospects where everyone just loves everything that they do. Um, it would probably be Anthony Richardson just because I, I I do think for as many teams that will be enamored with what he can do from a physical standpoint, there are, you know, some games where he had six completions going into the third quarter, things like that. Um, it's probably Anthony Richardson, but I, I think after this week, though, that might change. That if it's, if it's an all-time workout, that could change. Maybe it's ultimately Will Levis, who's older than Richardson and didn't build on a really strong 2021 this past year when he lost some talent to the NFL offensive line receiver, maybe it's him. And if the Vikings were to say, Hey, you know, this is a guy that's different from Kirk cousins. He has a huge arm. He can run. Wasn't used as much as a runner this past season has, has uh, played in an offense with an NFL offensive coordinator. Liam Cohn is, was with the Rams and um, at Kentucky back with the Rams now, uh, that they could say, hey, look, this is our guy that that is kind of away from the mold of a Kirk Cousins. I could see him being the guy that's just because he's a little older and he wasn't great in 2022, um, ultimately be of the top four, the quarterback who falls a little bit. And I should mention that there was a report from our friend Tom Pelissero, Minnesotan from uh, NFL Network, that the Vikings are not interested in signing Kirk Cousins to a one-year extension. I don't want to misquote him and say not interested, but he doesn't expect that to happen. Uh, with a one year contract, which we you know, we've talked about that a little bit on the show about why would Kirk Cousins sign a one year extension when he's going to want a final contract here for his career and he just won 13 games. And if you're the Vikings, do you really want to lock yourself into him after his best year? And if you fall off next year, then what do you do? Yeah. And if you try to sneak a Derek Carr contract, not by this man's agent. No way. This man's agent is a beast. So like there's, Kirk's smart with that stuff right, too. He's like the greatest negotiating quarterback ever. Exactly. So there's no way that he's just taking like whatever for a contract. Sign me up, boys. Get me back out there. And I think that that <laughs> makes quarterback part of this conversation. It does. And I guess I wonder about, and I don't like this idea, but I have to bring it up just because the development quarterback, the guy that isn't necessarily going to be one of the top four, but anybody else. Is there anybody else in your mind you're making a face worth watching in this draft that maybe not at 23, but say the Vikings were to trade back? Is there anybody else that would catch your interest? I For Vikings fans and for Purple Insider listeners, I do not want there to be a Kellen Mond 2.0 situation. There's not. I 
I don't even really like Hendon Hooker that much. He's going to be 26 during the playoffs next year. <laughs> he's like he's 25. He's 25. He just turned 25 in January. Um, I, I remember thought, when me and Hendon Hooker were watching Scott Norwood kick it wide right as kids. Yeah, you know, he's now that he's old. On the draft, Good he's for that him. old. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hendon Hooker is a name that you'll probably hear uh, because of his great season that he had at. Uh, Tennessee. I actually just finalized his grade recently. I like totally missed him, which I don't know how I did that. I was not that impressed. I thought the talent around him was amazing. It was a wide open air raid system. A lot of misses down the field, like um, on his film, and he's taller. Tried to run, but he doesn't look explosive. He's not going to run at the next level. There's not really any other like guy that I think is a big time sleeper who's just who no one is really thinking about that third, fourth round you could pick and develop. Jaron Hall from BYU is probably the only one, but he's another older prospect as well. I think he's 24, 25 already. Um, Kind of in the the Zach Wilson mold where he can create outside of the pocket a little bit, has a live arm, two good seasons back-to-back after filling in for Zach Wilson at BYU. Those two are the only ones I think that will be talked about, but I'm not even really too high on either of them. Hooker or Jaron Hall. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Tanner McKee looks like a young Daniel Jones to me or uh, a young, uh, I don't know, Nick Foles, like early in his career. Um, You know, I agree with you on Hendon Hooker, though. That's like being in college and going back and playing for your high school football team. Yes. I mean, that's just a completely. You have to think about that with the draft. Like, you're drafting a a 25 year old who's about to turn 26. Right. He modeled his game after Terry Bradshaw. (laughs) People know that. Um, But it is, yeah, that that to me is not that interesting because if you're talking about a development player, how are when you do you want him on the field? Right. 28, 29? Right, right, right. Exactly. So uh, I agree with you that it's probably pointless. I did want to bring up that I heard recently that I remember you liked Kellen Mond. And I remember, you know, now we talk about Kellen Mond. It didn't work out. You felt bad about that because you want to get them all right. I do. But I've heard that you weren't the only one. Some people some people have brought up to me that there were some teams that had Kellen Mond like ahead of Justin Fields, Woo. which tells you about the inexact science of the draft and of the quarterback situation. But I do think that the league usually tells us the deal. If somebody drops to the third, there's really no point going after him. And I think if the Vikings were trying to hedge like – if if I hear this year, well, you know, Brock Purdy was found in this. I'm going to oh, lose my mind. I'm yeah. going to hear that tomorrow, aren't I? When we go over there and the oh, yeah. well, you know, Brock Purdy was a seventh round pick and that worked out pretty well for them. Like that never happens. Yeah, no. And with Kellen Mond, what was weird about that and why I think I like liked him as a prospect. I didn't love him. I liked it for the Vikings because I thought he was a very similar to Kirk Cousins quarterback. In this scenario, if the Vikings are like, we're not going to extend Kirk Cousins, we want a developmental guy and let's hope for the Vikings sake that they're going to aim for a different style of quarterback, aim a little bit higher. 
you don't pick someone like Kellen Mond. You don't pick someone like Tanner McKee or Hendon Hooker that does not have ad-libbing ability, um, that doesn't have a big arm, that that's not doing those wow things at the quarterback position physically that the best quarterbacks in the game are doing. So, yeah, Kellen Mond was like kind of the old school mentality. Had he entered the draft 10 years earlier in terms of he was from Jimbo Fisher's offense, under center, getting through his reads, but you kind of saw that with how fast the game is today. um, And I think just how offenses are kind of leaning toward the design run game for quarterbacks, what that does in uh, to the numbers game in the box, what it does to coverages, bringing the safety down, whatever. If you don't have that ability and then you can't fit it through tight windows with how much zone is being played today, 70, 75% of the league in that range is playing zone a lot that, you're just not going to be able to succeed. And if you are a backup and you do get your chance in the preseason or, or, or in a regular season game where you have to be good right away to make that good first impression, it's going to be very, very challenging to do so. Yeah, and I thought that with Mond, maybe they thought he was something that he wasn't because, you know, they talked about his like athleticism and stuff. And I was kind of like, is that really true? Because I don't really like – College athleticism is different. NFL athleticism is so much different. I mean, you should really, if you're going to be talked about as an athletic freak, you should be Anthony Richardson. You should be Will Levis arm strength because almost nothing. Like I remember Baker Mayfield was talked about a little bit. Athletic. Like, oh, he's, he's pretty athletic. He's Johnny pretty Manziel too. Right. And then they get to the NFL, like not at all. Cannot run. Right. You're not running away from defensive tackles who run a four, six. Yep. Uh, speaking of which I want to get into a couple other positions with you, and then we can circle back on what actually happened uh, later in later pods mm-hmm. after the combine results are all finished and everything else. But I am so fascinated by the cornerback position, Uh, not just because the Vikings brought in Brian Flores, who is going to need corners. Mm -hmm. And I do wonder, like, how happy everyone would be with a corner, considering they drafted two last year, two in 2020, but sunk cost. Like, if you don't have one, you don't have one. Mm -hmm. But I keep looking for a consensus on who the guys are, and I can't find one. I find, you know, PFF's draft simulator likes about three or four in the first round. But I'd love to hear your opinion, and especially guys that might uh, work out for man coverage, which uh, Brian Flores is going to play a lot of. But there seems to be no consensus at all going into the combine of where these guys should be taken. Yeah, there's not like a Derek Stingley, Sauce Gardner, like they're at the top, and then who else is behind them in this class? But fortunately for the Vikings and then more uh, specifically for Brian Flores' scheme that's going to play a lot of man and and prefers longer corners. They had Byron Jones, Xavier Howard in Miami. It's a really, really good class at the top. Christian Gonzalez from Oregon. I love the fact that he's like 21 years old and he was, was at Colorado, was very good there, transferred to Oregon, kind of played, I mean, both in the Pac-12, but played up a little bit um, and was really good this past season. There's a lot of comparisons to Patrick Sertan. I don't think he's quite as technically good as Patrick Sertan was. He didn't have the dad in the NFL teaching him since he was five, um, like Patrick Sertan had. Joey Porter Jr., another one with NFL bloodlines. Very long, very twitchy, feisty. Put him on an island in the NFL. Do not let him sit and sink in zone. That's not where he's best. And then Devin Witherspoon from Illinois. He's a little smaller, but he's still going to meet most um, thresholds right around six foot, 180, 185 pounds, 190 pounds. Um, And probably the feistiest of the bunch of those top three um, at this position where in your face, the entire route, very physical, but not too grabby. And I think 
why there's not really a consensus at this point with those three. You can throw in Keely Ringo from um, Georgia as well. You'll hear it from Daniel Jeremiah and Rich Eisen when they're working out this weekend. So much emphasis gets put on the cornerbacks workouts. Like if you don't run like sub four, four, five, you're not going to go in the first round. Like they want like teams historically and even recently want to see the speed, the vertical. If you don't cross off a lot of those boxes, then you're just not going to be picked very high. It feels like Christian Gonzalez, Joey Porter Jr. and Devin Witherspoon and Keely Ringo are all going to test very, very well. But the three that I first mentioned, they are on an island press man corners that have the length that I think teams and certainly in this case, Brian Flores and the Vikings will really covet and like in this draft. And I guess the question then becomes like, is one of them going to be there at 23 when you win 13 games, they don't give you a very high draft pick. I don't know. It's a little known (laughs) fact, Uh, by the way, Joey Porter Jr. is so old that uh, Hendon Hooker uh, grew up watching him, just like uh, his dad. His dad, yeah. So I didn't deliver the roast that well on him being (laughs) old. But uh, Joey Porter Jr. definitely makes me feel on the aged side when you talk about him. But I saw a little bit of him at Penn State and thought he was a tremendous prospect. It's just with him and Gonzalez, they're probably going to go too early for the Vikings to consider. And this is a scenario that I played out in a draft simulation because it's that time of year, yes. but trading back and then taking a corner a little later. I think this is a little bit risky behavior because if you want a great corner, you usually have to take them yeah. high. There's so much physical, like you said, physical ability just plays so much into it that if you're not a freak show, eh, you probably don't become elite, but the Vikings just need good corners. And, and I think that if they trade back second round, maybe they have a chance to get somebody there. Um, as opposed to taking a swing at who's sort of ever remaining once Gonzalez and, and Porter Jr. have gone. Yeah, to your last point, I, I think in general you can get a quote-unquote good cornerback in round two, but I think with Brian Flores, he's going to have a specific type, and they ask for the length and the athleticism and the ball skills that he had in Miami with those two, Byron Jones and Xavier Howard. I think that's probably what he, in an ideal world, he's going to try to replicate to get those two. One other name I completely forgot, not on purpose, Cam Smith from South Carolina. Uh, He's the other one. I I don't think he's quite as athletic, and we'll certainly get to see. That's what's great about the combine. It's not just my opinion on how athletic someone feels on film. We'll get to see it. Um, But his 2021 was as good of a non-entering cornerback film that I've watched in a long, long time. He was around the football, something like 25% of his targets, which is a crazy high number on an island, physical, probably at times a little bit too physical, but he would be the fourth guy in there as well. I'm not talking about Keely Ringo as much. He's going to test well, but I think he's more of a zone corner. Maybe we'll play safety at the next level. So with four corners there, I feel like at 23, there's a decent chance that at least one of them is available. And certainly inside the Viking scouting department, we don't know who they're going to like more than the other. But in a uh, kind of, you know, being outsiders here to say, if they really want a long press man corner who's athletic, they will be able to probably get one at 23. I think that in this case, we can really identify that pretty clearly. Like, mm-hmm. If they're going to pick them, it's going to be this guy, this guy, or this guy. Yes. And we got to get the measurements, the speed, the length, all those t- types of things. Yep. But I think we're just going to know generally if they're looking at that type, 
Who are they going to be looking at? Can I ask, this is a total side road, just uh, getting off at the at an exit here. But a question that I get all the time is about scouts. Mm-hmm. And I, the Vikings have not drafted super well recently outside of, you know, a future Hall of Famer, potentially Justin Jefferson, <laughs> yeah, he is. and then an all-pro caliber tackle in Christian Derrissaw. But aside from that, it's been a pretty rough ride. And people ask about the scouts all the time. And I just can't get myself to a place where I think like, yeah, they should fire all those people because I feel like they've scout so many players mm-hmm. and then you draft 10 of them. And who even know, like who even knows, like, where was that the guy that this that your scouting department wanted or was it a coach or was it Quasi Adolfo Mensa or was it like I just have a really tough time picking it apart. I think that most scouts really know what they're doing. And it comes down to just the tiniest sample of players that they've evaluated. And if they loved Lewis scene, for example, well, so did everybody else. Yeah. Like, and the, the Cowboys reportedly, or at least from that picture that was taken, uh-huh. had him even higher than the Vikings. So I, I don't know. Like I didn't see anyone say like, Oh, Lewis scene, what a terrible prospect or something like that. You know, so I, I always have trouble with this thing about like trying to critique a scouting department when they didn't show me the scouting reports. No, that's true. And one quick aside from this, I'm really looking forward to getting some leak from the Cowboys draft board. Like we oh, get yeah, every single year. It, yeah. It'll happen again. Um, no, that this is one of my favorite conversations to have during the pre-draft process, because I think you're spot on that these scouts are doing a good job, like with pretty much every team. And there's so many, cooks in the kitchen and usually the director of college scouting assistant GM and the GM are the ones ultimately pulling the trigger. But what I always find fascinating is that when, I don't know if, if just the Vikings do it, but I know like the bills do it a lot of teams, like right after they pick a player, like the next day they'll show like the moments leading up to it. And then how, and they have a whole highlight package ready and they loved Dawson Knox and they were zeroing in on him. But then if you, talk to Brandon Bean or, or anyone in the organization before. It's like, we're just going to go best player available when we're on the yeah. clock. So how did you know that Dawson Knox was going to be there, that you were going to trade up for him or whatever? So I definitely think that there are times where, you know, maybe there was people in the Eagles organization that loved Justin Jefferson and they just weren't the guys pressing, you know, we want to draft Justin Jefferson or vice versa where, the Vikings didn't know Justin Jefferson like was going to be there. There's a the famous video, obviously Rick Spielman and Mike Zimmer being overjoyed where they would have maybe had to do a highlight package of Jalen Rager. Cause maybe he was their next wide receiver on the board. So the whole firing scouts right after the draft, if you have a bad draft, I think is a little bit of like a whipping boy scenario, like a cop out for the, the higher ups, which we see in a lot of other industries as well. Um, but yes, I do think in general, the scouting departments, the scouts that are out there, they watch every single snap and they're very good at their jobs. Well, and the way that you could tell that the scouts overall know what they're doing is not just what one team does, but what the whole league does. Mm -hmm. So if the whole league is decides that somebody is an elite draft pick and picks them in the first round, like they just have way better chances of success. If these people didn't have any idea what they were doing, then we would see all over the map. It would be seventh rounders make it and first rounders make it and first, you know what I mean? Like yeah. it is. To it would be more extent, even. It would, it would be, be, way, be more right, even. Right, right. When you look at any time this has ever been studied, it's like the success goes straight down. So every <laughs> pick that you have later is less of a chance 
chance to get a great player yeah. than it is than the last one because these people know what they're doing. But that doesn't mean they're infallible. That means there's a, probably a, a hundred different opinions about every player. And I just don't know how to answer that question when I get it. Like, I, I don't know. Like, are you talking about a specific scout? Well, I don't know what he said. And I guess if they don't like a specific scout that got something blatantly wrong, then they can fire that person. But are they like, I don't know. Like, I don't think that a, a few years of bad drafting defensive players is proof. Really, it's because you haven't drafted them high. And so this actually goes to a place I wanted to talk with you about, which is edge rushers and defensive tackles. Mm-hmm. The previous regime thought that they could find these players anywhere, anywhere here in Indy. They could go over to the top steakhouse and just find an edge rusher third or fourth round. Does that guy look like Daniil Hunter? Does to me. Let's grab him. (laughs) I think that edge rushers and defensive tackles should really be on the table, but I notice that there is not like a bevy of them that are being talked up as we go into the combine here. Does that mean opportunity or is this not a great draft for pass rushers? The edge rusher class is way better than the interior defensive line class. So with that thinking, I mean, you can kind of approach it multiple ways and say, hey, well, there's still going to be quality players at at D tackle in round three, round four. Or you say, hey, we got to pick one early because the Kalijah Cansey from Pittsburgh, Mozzie Smith from Michigan, like they're going to be there. And then there's a precipitous drop off. Um, the edge rushers, though, I, I think the Vikings, not to say that they should – continue what they did in the past with third, fourth, fifth rounders. It, it is a good class. They should be able to get one and not have to pick, you know, at 23 overall and still get a quality player. But we know how edge rusher is such a premium position. Those will fly off the board um, within the first 50 to 75 picks a lot faster than the defensive tackle class. So if you're a Vikings fan, a purple insider listener and thinking they need defensive tackle so bad, they need to do that way earlier than wait on that because the defensive tackle class is not very good. I do think that I really do. I mean, I think with Delvin Tomlinson, even if they re-sign him and they have Harrison Phillips there, that's a big investment in that position. Neither one of those guys can get sacks. And I think it matters when you can get pressure up the middle get sacks, create turnovers. Like Delvin Tomlinson has good PFF numbers and win rates and everything else, but he gets like three sacks. And it's great to push the pocket, but you're not getting strip sacks. You're not creating massive negative plays. And no one's scared of you. If the other team is scared of you, then they have to game plan for you. It helps everybody else. There was also, did I tell you about this? I don't know if I did. I brought it up a couple times on the show, but I was really captivated by it. The Athletic wrote an article about why... All of the all pros on the defensive side were top draft picks. Mm. And yet the offensive side, the quarterbacks, of course, Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, guys like that, the quarterbacks. Okay. But a lot of the other positions were more spread out like wide receiver running back. We know all about that offensive line. And the conclusion that they came to is that basically defense it's going to matter more for your athletic freakishness, which means draft higher. Whereas offense, it's so technical route running offensive line, the most technical position on the field Uh, running back. There's just 10 gazillion of them, but tight end, a very, very technical position. I think there's something to that. I, I think that when the Vikings look at this, they can't say, let's just grab another third rounder and hope he turns into Daniel Hunter. 
Daniil Hunter and Everson Griffin were the outliers of all outliers yep. and were both athletic psychopaths. I mean, two of the best athletes you'll <laughs> mm-hmm. ever find in your life. No way the NFL today would allow those guys to drop as far as they did, even with some Everson Griffin stuff or with Daniil Hunter's lack of production. I, I think that that makes a pretty good argument that if you're going to stay at 23, you should get somebody who can rush the passer because they're going to need it all over the defensive line within the next few years. Yeah, definitely. And and I think you hit the nail on the head that with defensive line, and I am writing this a lot in my scouting reports, whether it's an edge rusher or a interior defensive lineman, you need to win fast. And there's some very nuanced players that have pass rush moves, but if it takes them one and a half to two seconds to beat the offensive lineman. And then they're not exactly explosive to get into the backfield. And they're maybe starting to generate a pressure at around three seconds or, or more. That's, that's too long. It, it takes way too long. So I actually moved in my scouting grade book last year. I used to have pass rush moves as my highest weighted category for defense, for all for edge rushers and, and defensive linemen. It's now explosiveness. If you cannot get off the ball in under, you know, I don't know, a half a second. And then whether it's a bull rush, whether it's a swim move, whatever, then it doesn't matter. So I, I think you're right. And that article did kind of shed light on that, that, it makes sense that a lot of these guys were higher draft picks because a lot of the traits go very early. And these teams think, Hey, we can coach these guys up with our defensive line coach or our linebackers coach, but you need the explosiveness. And it's, you can certainly, you know, have a guy shed weight or whatever, but it's very hard, I think, to teach explosiveness at the next level. And you can actually see that uh, Seth Walder from ESPN sometimes tweets out these stats where they can actually show who is getting off the ball the quickest yeah. in the NFL yep. as defensive ends, which is just absolutely bananas. But that's like what the next gen stuff is doing for us, giving us a lot more insight into this stuff. And maybe they have it for college. I, I don't know. I don't if, know if they have it for if that. The yeah. teams have some of that. I know that they have a lot of the data for this, for the mm-hmm. combine, way more data than is just shown publicly, uh, which may play into it. But I definitely think that the twitchiness, the quickness, uh, when you look at it mapped out for who the elite guys are, they're the ones that are dominating in the NFL as well. So uh, let's go through the kickers one by one, each kicker, each punter. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but I'm not uh, there yet. <laughs> you will be, though. You will yes. know at least one kicker, punter and long snapper who could get taken. But I did want to ask just what's what else is on your mind that we that we didn't cover here? Because I think it's, uh, you know, Vikings fans are going to have their eyes on the quarterback situation, defensive pass rushers, cornerbacks at the top of the list. Uh, I know for me also wide receivers have not really separated themselves. I am a uh, Zay Flowers fan Mm. at the moment, but, you know, that could change. He put on a bunch of weight. We'll see how fast he is. I like the idea of a Vikings first round wide receiver because I will just pound this table that you need more weapons until it someday, somehow they draft one extra <laughs> wide receiver they didn't need. I will keep doing it. Um, so that's that would be the other thing that we didn't cover. We'll get into how those guys perform and such at some point. Was there anything else on your mind? No, I'm glad that you said wide receiver because I feel like we have like it in our contract here that we've made between each other that we need to talk about the wide receiver position and hammer that point home with the Vikings that I'm really looking forward to how this wide receiver class collectively tests that there's not a Jamar Chase. There's not a Jalen Waddle. There's not going to be like a top five to seven pick at the receiver spot. Most likely 
Quentin Johnston is kind of the consensus wide receiver one, but he's coming from this like wide open Big 12 air raid offense. The Big 12 receivers historically have not been very good because the route trees are just not there. And I think in today's NFL, certainly athleticism matters at all positions. It matters at wide receiver. But like you've seen with Justin Jefferson, that the the nuanced ability to separate is not just how fast you are or how quick you are. It's how good of a, a route salesman you are, so to speak. Quentin Jefferson doesn't necessarily have that. And then Zay Flowers, Jackson Smith and the Jigba, um, Jordan Addison, uh, Jaden Reed, who I really like a lot from Michigan State. There's a lot of these kind of like they could maybe be second or third rounders or they could run themselves into the first round. Certainly feels like at that number 23 spot, there probably will be only one, maybe two receivers off the board at that point. So if Jordan Addison doesn't run crazy fast. He could certainly be there for them. And he was someone that was breaking out at 19 years old at Pittsburgh that I think could be your immediate, almost higher end wide receiver too, that you're getting on a cheap contract um, to play behind Justin Jefferson and maybe Adam Thielen as well. Um, So I'm just interested to see because it's kind of a down receiver class after we thought, oh, every year we're going to have this amazing receiver class because of how college football is. I just want to see how they test. Maybe it's, it's, disappointing and we're like hey there's going to be one receiver in the first round it's going to be like 2018 where it's just calvin ridley and dj moore one or two in the first round and and all of the value will be later or will it be like 2019 where everyone ran super fast and you got dk metcalf and aj brown um terry mclaurin on day two who ultimately became really good receivers and with receivers like we were just talking about the technical elements sometimes they don't blow away the combine but there's definitely a you have to be this tall to get onto the ride to be a star wide receiver or a really good wide receiver and that was always always weird to me about Justin Jefferson the dude blew up the combine and he was amazing in the combine i think it was mm-hmm. like 97th percentile when you put it all together on relative athletic score relative athletic score Love season it. folks Um, But, you know, I was just like chuckling to myself about Addison because I was looking over some things with him as, you know, researching the receivers. It's like, where do I know this guy from? And then you brought up he was with Pitt. It's like, oh, yeah, that's right. Nobody stays with their team anymore. So you have to track that. I was like, man, I seem to recognize this guy. Oh, yeah, that's right. He made Kenny Pickett a first round draft pick. So anyway, well, we're here in Indianapolis. We're going to have a lot more great discussions to go. Uh, We will hear from the general manager, the head coach, and you're going to be also at some different podiums as well, listening to other things uh, that GMs and coaches are saying, not to mention that there's always NFL network reporter, ESPN reporter buzz that we'll have time to go over as well. So we'll react to Kwesi, we'll react to Kevin O'Connell in the next few days. Make sure you keep an eye out for that. And uh, also we will have lots of other things to deep dive into with these players for a very interesting week here in Indianapolis. So thanks so much for listening to this episode. So much more to come from Indianapolis. We will talk to you all soon. To deep dive into with these players for a very interesting week here in Indianapolis. So thanks so much for listening to this episode. So much more to come from Indianapolis. We will talk to you all soon.